everyone, welcome to another episode of Toffee Coffee Cast where we talk everything film, TV, video games and conspiracy theories. Of course, I'm your host, Reese Bolton, and with me is my co-host... Reese Jones. Reese, Reese Jones. Uh, we're all both excited because uh, the MCU is back for 2021. Um, Finally. With WandaVision. And we're all looking forward to uh, this year of Marvel, aren't we? So, um, to this week we'll be discussing the probably one of the most famous conspiracies of the 20th century, definitely. Um, one of the biggest mysteries of, I would say, of all time, um, especially of the 20th century, and that is the Diablo Pass incident. So, uh, yeah, cases of conspiracies back, uh, seventh instalment, where we're going to be talking about the, the Diablo Pass incident. Very mysterious, very eerie, so a very cold. Yeah. It's a very cold... Uh, <laughs> very cold, cold case cold case yeah yeah well it is cold because you're freezing your yeah. uh freezing your tits off in like minus 100 100 degrees isn't it so yeah. um, i mean we like to complain about our like british winters but like i don't know it sort of pales in comparison with you know the russian winter yeah 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 you you hear about like these conditions people used to like you know go hiking in and it's just oh jesus so, uh, yeah, you can find us on Instagram at instagram.com slash the Hoffy Coffee Cast and mine and Reese's main accounts at Bolts97 and at Reese B. Jones. Give us both a like and a follow. would be much appreciated. Right. Um, so this is obviously a, a, a conspiracy case that I really want to talk about for a long time. I remember reading up about this and I was like, oh, this, this is literally what I like. Uh, cover up possibly cover up mysterious uh, yeah. um, deaths no concrete answer and we're probably not ever going to get one uh but it, it, it ties in so well to like the mysteriousness and the um like the, the, the kind of like the time it's set in it because like i mean we'll, we'll think of russia we'll, like the russian winter is absolutely horrible i mean two I'll say Hitler and the Napoleon didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. he, beat, he, beat, he beat them, didn't they? Like uh, <laughs> uh, no one could conquer Moscow, can they? Apart from the uh, Bolsheviks. Uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I I I just like to say, like I don't know, in terms of like conspiracy theories and sort of like i wouldn't say true crime but yeah like conspiracy theories or sort of like mysteries it's quite recent it's quite new because it's like i know yeah Yeah. but i I know like the the events happened in 59 but it's sort of it only broke out of russia like very recently yeah yeah um russia opened like a new investigation uh i think it was last year or the year before yeah yeah like even before then it's sort of like um, like message boards online, you know, sort of like creepy pasta, sort of like yeah. stories online. It, it sort of like helped to um, uh, generate interest in like this mystery, and I, I don't know. I think it's it's sort of it's benefited from this sort of the advent of the you know what I mean, sort of like the creepy story online, you know, the sort of like the folk horror almost, and how um, it's it's still unsolved, you know, like. 
whereas like some mysteries you know which are more famous arguably they have a sort of like a logical conclusion this one still you know nobody conclusively knows what happened which no. it's sort of it's, you it's know even more like a generic it's like an x-file isn't it yeah like, yeah even maybe it's alien may be involved it's basically what it is like and it's like you know you think of it and you're thinking oh the cold you're thinking like the the mysteriousness the like the like you're literally in this kind of setting where you could disappear and yeah. no one know where, you, yeah. where you've gone. You lost to the to like yeah. the environment. Well, to the mountain didn't there. even have a name. You know, it's like it was virtually like unmapped. Well, yeah. well, I, I say I say it was unmapped. It was you know there was no one there except for like the you know the um the native peoples which probably were very um spatially populated there was like no one about because you know like the mountain was called by the natives you know the dead mountain because like nothing grew there it was just like have you ever read um child 44 um i've heard of it i i I sort of looked at it after the movie came out a few years ago yeah it it's like it's basically one of these big mysteries and that was kind of like <clears throat> that's kind of like a during the Stalin era. I think it's either post-Stalin or priest. It's during the Stalin era. Yeah. And it just I feel like the outlaw past fits into that because even if it's like post-Stalin era, like it it kind of gives me that like it, it it's part of this kind of bigger context of what was going on in Russia at the time. So like you got this, all these mysteries of people like dying like and you feel like they've been poisoned and stuff people disappearing mm-hmm. off the streets and and all that people yeah. going like go finding stuff and they've gone missing it's really it all plays into that like even just some like murders and stuff it's, it's all part of that kind of eerie the eerie part of like it reminds me a lot of like um say if you go to like the mid the midwest yeah, like you go to places like Nevada and stuff, or like even if like the south, the south, the southern states, the south of like United States, and um, you disappear in like you know like the bogs and like these huge terrain where your bodies aren't found. It's all part of mystery, and I feel like Russia's part of that as well because you know Russia during the Stalin era was a pretty awful time to live in yeah, like, yeah. you gotta literally like even if you just play breathed you'd be done for being like a, <laughs> yeah. yeah even um, afterwards it, was, it wasn't like even afterwards it's still it's still um still like that like yeah. uh, i i think we'll touch upon how um not not um communist um anxiety but very you know, you, you know, this um, succumbed to the the Russian, like the Stalinist way of life. Yeah. How you know um, the investigation was um, hampered by Stalinist policies. You know, sort of um, uh, wanting to keep this, you know, t- um, wrapped up, not wanting the sort of like it, it to uh, come to American attention. You, you know, like it was hampered by this interference by the russian sorry by the the soviet government and um yeah i mean we, we'll come to that but i, I <laughs> when i was like reading about this and like watching like videos and stuff online it's, it just sort of like reminded me of like 
I was just I kept on thinking, oh, like the next season of uh, Fargo is going to be great because <laughs> it, it is just like some Fargo, really weird, yeah, yeah. Like, like some weird like Fargo mystery. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I don't know the, the idea of like these like the Russian remake of Fargo is going to be set yeah, here, yeah, like that. Well, uh, today we'll be covering quite a lot. So obviously, we'll be introducing the whole like introduction to these case of conspiracy the out the past incident and then we'll talk about basically the finding of the bodies and then the whole like exposition in general and then we come to like the theories that have been put in place and we come up with some of our own maybe or which ones we agree uh, are more logical than others um so yeah um so in the dead, dead in the dead of winter in 1959 a group of students set out on a trek into Ural mountains their frozen bodies with inexplicable injuries were discovered in locations that compounded the puzzle of how they died. The Atlas Pass mystery spawned dozens of conspiracy theories which had endured for 60 years. At the height of the Cold War, the group of 10 students led by Igor, Igor Dyatlov. And who we heard of Dyatlov before, uh, Welsh? He was um, the guy in ooh, charge of... Dyatlov. Yeah, in charge of the... Of the um, or what was it like that, 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 that you know the uh, reactor of um, yeah. Chernobyl the night of Chernobyl stars yeah <laughs> set out so the ten students led by Igor Dyatlov set out on a trip into the Ural Mountains the range which divides Europe and Asia the skiers will experience young sportsmen and women from the Ural's Polytechnic Institute of Yekaterinburg Yek- Yek- or Sevastopolsk, as the city was called in Soviet times. I'm going to butcher these uh, <laughs> Russian pronunciations. <laughs> I do apologise to our Russian uh, viewers. We'll try our best. <laughs> Only one will survive. Nine bodies were eventually found on a remote mountain with horrific, inexplicable injuries. Some were semi-clothed, two had missing eyes, and one's tongue was missing. The Atlas Pass mystery, as it's become known, has spawned countless conspiracy theories of the past six decades. However, in February 2019, the Russian authorities made a surprise announcement they will reopen the case in an attempt to get to the bottom of it once and for all. And uh, we'll talk about that, um, the reopening of that case when we come to it. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, what happened? They're experienced skiers, you know, they're ob- like they're obviously led by someone who who was good, was a good leader at like, at, like taking people through this kind of like really tricky ter- terrain what the hell happened didn't it um yeah it's um i mean what sort of complicates things is that all of these um all of the participants in the uh well the hiking expedition were experienced hikers you know um i don't know what the sort of equivalent would be uh in um you know sort of like experience wise or skill wise but i think they were they were all grade two except for one of the hikers who was grade three which is yeah. essentially like um you, you know like they have this sort of like a master's in it i think i think yeah. that's the equivalent yeah. like a master's degree in it um or like they have this sort of like qualification to teach that sort of um skill so you know like they were very determined very driven individuals you know very skilled at what they were doing and Obviously, they were Russians, so they were naturally inclined to to be hardier in these sort of environments. <laughs> but it's it's very weird how, I mean, 
obviously, I think we'll come into more depth about like the injuries, but yeah, like sort of how all these different things happened, and how because because I think I think it's like worth noting straight off that um, out of the ten that went, one of the uh, hikers had to turn back due to yeah. illness. It'll, it'll help, um, yeah. And uh, his name is uh, Yuri something. Yuri Putin. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we'll come to his name when we um when we're at it. But like, yeah, he he basically um turned back on ill health, and that basically saved his life. I mean, I I, I, I he, it, he apparently he was really like upset that he had to go back, but in like long term, looking at it, like yeah. it saved his life, like. Don't say illness can kill you. It can save your life as well. Um, yeah. It's ironic though, isn't it? You know, like you turn back, you had like these, um, I think it was problem. Oh, you had rheumatism. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, and you turn back and I mean, that must have been so like heartbreaking really because there must have been so much planning going into this trip. And, you know, you had to turn back and he probably thought you were so disappointed and turns out it saved his life. So. Mm. So um, I'm going to like, obviously this is the list of the of people. Well, actually, I'll, I'll actually I'll come into a sec because um, no, I've got actually I've got a list of people here now. So so you've got uh, Igor uh, Dyatlov, and I think he was 22 at the time. 22, um, yeah, yeah. And there was also right here we go. Let's get to some Russian names now. Pronouncing. Uh-huh. So we got. Uh, Zinadia Kormogolova from 22, Yuri Doroshenko, 21, um, Alexander Kolevatov, 24, uh, Yuri Krivonskyshenko, 23, Rustem Slobidin, 23, uh, Nicholas Philbix Brignoli, 23, uh, Lydia Miliela, Dubinia 20 and Yuri Yudin 22 and Sem I think Yuri Yudin was the one that went back. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Semyon Semon Zolotaroyov uh, and he's 38. That's the oldest one in the group. Um, there you go. And my Russian accent has been butchered. I was going to say, yeah, I'd like to apologize again. <laughs> I mean, all that, and I was like, right, how am I going to do this? I was like, you have to think, though, like, <laughs> the Russian uh, phonetics are very unfamiliar to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like saying, like, um, maybe some like Chinese names as well. Like, it, oh, yeah. It can be like. Uh, <laughs> well, you some say some Spanish names because sometimes I say, like, uh, if it's like someone called, like, Jose, I say, oh, simply Jose or something. Like, uh, I follow <laughs> yeah. the J and I'm like, oh, it's supposed to be like a H, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it's like uh, Javier Bardem, but I remember I used to call him Javier Bardem. And I was like, oh, God. Well, like, we remember um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Like, I remember, yeah. like, do you know, b- before, like, Joker and stuff, I used to call him Jacqueline. Ja- yeah, I thought it was Jacqueline. Yeah, Jacqueline. <laughs> Jacqueline Phoenix. Uh, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's all my, uh, well, it's a little more washed with some pronunciation uh, in my notes here, so as we continue. So, um, yeah, like, they're all about the same age, so you can tell they're students, and then you've got, like, a 38-year-old, uh, Simeon, who was a sports instructor who had fought in World War II. Uh, now, he wasn't leading the group, though, so he obviously was part of this. It must have been, like, a, um, like a club they were part of, weren't they? Um, and the yeah. university. I think they were. Um, 
think they were. I think it was sort of like, you know, this a group that sort of, well, just like a hobby group, really. And obviously, mm. like, they were doing it for qualifications, you know, for the, the grade three um, uh, ski tour experience certification. So, yeah, um, I, I think it was just like, you know, they, they just wanted to do something apart from their studies because I think a lot of them studying at the uh is it, is it, is it, it's a, it's a polytechnical institute yeah, yeah, they were all yeah. studying um in their respective it was like degrees. it was it was stuff like um physics engineering yeah. and all that um, i think one of them was a nuclear techni- uh, technician as well yeah yeah i mean i mean like if you're in russia and your students when you say nuclear i mean they need a lot of nuclear um technicians didn't they throughout the cold war mm. <laughs> We're pushing it's, for that when they actually doing the army. Yeah, yeah, it's like a place to be. Like, oh, you wanna, you wanna be a lawyer? Oh, nah, they, they don't need lawyers in the Soviet Russia. No, you're gonna be a a, a nuclear technician because we're gonna make a lot of nukes. Yeah. So the um the route aimed to reach the far northern regions of the Sverdlovsk oblast yeah yeah and the upper streams of the lozva river yeah which, um we're not familiar with that area but no 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 you rals yeah yeah um i'll talk about quickly uh before we talk about the expedition i've um we're talking about like the people who found the bodies because yeah. it comes to kind of like the mystery of what has happened here and you're thinking oh they died maybe from hypothermia which a lot of people say it was the reason but it's no 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 like you can't say these people just died from hypothermia and and all this other stuff that's happened yeah. to, the, to their bodies so the student's trip was supposed to take three weeks igor who was leading the trip had promised to send a message to the sports club in Serodolosk as soon as his group was safely back at their base around 12th of february a day before my birthday um <laughs> Uh, first, nobody was surprised they did not return on time. They had been delayed before because of bad weather. But by the 20th of February, their families became worried and raised the alarm. The university sent out a search party of student volunteers. Mikhail Shariviv was one of them. He was flown to the region by helicopter along with the other volunteers. They split into smaller groups and followed some ski tracks which came came to an edge at the edge of the forest before climbing up the pass. We had gone about 500 metres, when on our left I saw the tent, said Sharavin. Part of the canvas was poking out, but the rest was covered in snow. I used an ice pick lying nearby to uncover the entrance. Inside, he and our rescuer found a blanket and some rucksacks lined up neatly, and a pile of boots in one corner. There was also the route map, official papers, money, and a flask of alcohol. Obviously, vodka and al- alcohol. Uh, what, what else would it be? Um, next to that, he spotted a plateful of salo, white pork fat, a Slavic delicacy, and a sort of high calorie food that hikers take with them into the mountains. It was sliced up as if they were getting ready to have supper or something and didn't have time, said Sheravin. So, um, yeah, so obviously they found the, um, the camp, they saw the tent, and um, yeah, to find like everything just seems neatly, doesn't it? It sounds like there was like no cult scuffle, 
no like sign of like any domestic disturbance really in it like yeah i mean it, obviously we come to it like the there was a big hole coming out of the the tent but like everything just looked so neatly inside wasn't it so you wouldn't say it's like a rob uh, robbery yeah because then I mean, be... like the boots were uh, sorry the the hiking boots were like stacked i think neatly yeah. along like, yeah. the uh, near the entrance to the tent so yeah it wasn't as if like a, a massive scuffle had broken out it's strange I mean, this is official papers do you reckon that's official papers to prove to somebody that they are allowed to hike, to uh, ski, and uh, in this area? Um, I think uh, I read somewhere that yeah, like they they needed to get um, clearance for like the local, like essentially like the local authority. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like if you're walking around around then and so on, it's like so in Russia, and you have to ask for papers everywhere. Otherwise, if you don't, oh, you're yeah. So that was like, it. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, like the route that they, they decided to take was um, was approved by the um, w- when they when they were traveling through the Svedlovsk uh, Oblast, the the Svedlovsk city like approved their route. Mm-hmm. Like the, the the route commission, that's what I've read. So yeah, like obviously, like they, I mean, this is Soviet Russia, so everything is very bureaucratic in it. So they yeah, had, yeah. They, they officially had the go ahead to um to go through the the area the oblast and um yeah i mean looking at the map it's pretty weird sort of like seeing their route going going like you know traversing like this land and then just like ending on the um what's it called yeah so it's um it it ends on like the border to the komi republic right okay i don't know whether yeah. that's like the modern um the modern like term for like that area but yeah like they they were just on the the edge of the Svev, Sverdlovsk oblast oblast sorry the Ural Mount, Ural mountains are a strange place isn't it like yeah it's very... yeah it's um i mean traditionally it has been the sort of border for europe so anything east yeah. of the the urals is considered as, as is asian yeah yeah, definitely. Uh, even if you look at like the global map, you just see like this yeah. massive line of mountains going down. You realize, yeah, it's like the way because Moscow is basically in Europe, isn't it? Like, yeah, they yeah. say it's part of European uh, Russia. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then after after your mountains, then you've got uh, Asian Russia, Siberia, and all that. Uh, it's not new mountains. Isn't let's look at the map quickly. Um, so like Siberia, like. Is it literally right next to your mountains, or is it? Further? Um, I'm I'm not sure the extent of the of Siberia, but like Siberia covers like a large area. Let's just have a look. Um, I think it is considered to be in Siberia. Yeah, you can look at this map of Russia for like how the hell can you like one nation conquer like control this? Well, because yeah. I mean, majority of people yeah. lived lived in lived in like the the big cities, really. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, you Siberia, have to realize like yeah. there wasn't a lot of people in that area. No, no. Yeah, I mean, uh, geographically and um, like politically, it is considered to be in Siberia. I think looking at a map, it looks like the Urals. Anything east of the Urals is considered part of Siberia. Right. So technically, yeah, it is in Siberia. 
not the coldest area, mind, but I mean, it's cold enough. Oh, you know, what, what, um, in the conditions I, they were oh, in. I, Have you ever heard about the, the coldest place on Earth? It's somewhere in, like, in Russia. Wait, I'll, I'll find it now. Hmm. Because, I mean, yeah, like, it hasn't necessarily got to be in the North Pole, say, or, like, the South Pole, is it? It's, it can be in... Like, because you, you have go. to think, like, Siberia is, like, east of the Urals. It's probably just, like, a, a massive, like, step or, like, a, a just, like, a field, isn't it? It just extends for, like, hundreds of miles. Yeah. Yeah, so but this my is... My geography um, area is very poor, though, so... Did you do geography in school? Oh, I did. Failed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I like so, to consider myself, like, I like mountaineering and stuff, and I like hiking. I do but, like mountaineering, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like... You look at, like, what they have to do. Like, they can't, like, uh, hike. They have to, like, ski, you know, because it's so yeah. snow-covered. It's so thick. And it's so cold. I mean, I don't know. It just makes me feel like I'm so, like, underprepared for, like, stuff like that. Right, I, so, I, I, I'm, like, totally yeah. un, un, I know. I, I do like hiking, but hiking through snow is so hard. It's, like... Yeah. It's so hard, like, and, and they're carrying like all of their provisions with them. Yeah, as well. yeah, and it, it's you know it's it's really groggy. You know, I, you're not gonna have fun really. And mm. I mean, if it's like nice where if it's like sunny, and you're going through snow, it's fine. But imagine going through a blizzard. Just like, yeah, I was gonna say this is Russia we're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, Yakutsk, Russia, is apparently the coldest place on earth. So. Um, uh, so temperatures during the brief summer can exceed 85 degrees Fahrenheit. Winter temperatures regularly fall to minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. The lowest ever record was a staggering minus 83 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, I read up somewhere about this, and they said basically, like, if you go in there, like, well, any good thermals on, you'd be dead, like, straight away. Like, if you go there without any proper thermals on, you're, you're dead straight away because of how cold it is. Yeah. Hyperthermia straight away. It's uh, nuts. Um, anyway, um, let's uh, let's get to back back to Jet the past. But that's interesting though, because like even like this ha- it shows you how cold like the Russian winter is. Like you can just you could die from hyperthermia if you haven't got the right provisions on. And as we see from this, like they leave their stuff like yeah. in the tent. Hmm. So like. If they won't like, it, it, you gotta think like, what made them leave that tent to to basically let them or leave the stuff out? Really, would have saved them, really. If it wasn't, yeah. If you take it, out the whole idea of, really, like yeah. conspiracies and say they died of hypothermia, yeah. Like, like what? Why? What? What caused them to leave that tent to to? Yeah, um, yeah like looking. At their experience, you know, not just that, but their collective experience. Like they are very, they're probably like the experts at, at this sort of sport, and they would probably be like the the best to have on any sort of um, hiking hiking expedition in that area. And yeah. and they they succumbed to, well, well, they died. They, you know, whatever happened to them? You got to think of like if, if this happened to experienced yeah, climbers, yeah. to uh, climbers, skiers, and you think that like. Well, I haven't got a chance, have I? And it's like well, that's really mysterious, like because something like leaving your clothes and stuff and leaving, it's like who does that? Like even if you're not yeah. a very experienced climber or skier, you don't you don't do that. Like 
especially like in the in the blizzard or like you know how deep snow that um they were in um so it was then noticed that a tent, tent had been slashed open from the inside with a knife maybe they were in a desperate hurry to get out he thought but why then came across something even stranger. Just outside the tent, he saw frozen footprints made by eight or nine people who were wearing socks, a single boot, or were barefoot. The track continued for five to ten metres, and then they disappeared. Charvin and his friend were dumbfounded. They wondered what on earth could have made the students leave their shelter, semi-clad, when it was at least minus 20 degrees Celsius outside. Yeah. They immediately skied downhill to tell the others in the search party what they had found. Later, when they sat around a campfire for the evening meal, Shower Vent produced a flask of vodka that he found in the tent and posed a toast to the health of the Atlock group. Wait, so they basically just they sat on the fire, had a campfire while when they found the tent. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're not doing much searching, are you? I mean, you you couldn't really because like obviously they got to look after their health. Yeah, uh, that's strange. Like. What is that? What is it called? Um, where like coldness gets your foot? Yeah, they, what? What? It's not. Um, it's not what they had in the war, was it? Where uh, you need to have your foot amputated because. Um, um, what, what's it called? I think. I think what what you're thinking of, say, like in the war, like they say in the First World War, they had uh, trench foot. Or, yeah, that's it. Trench foot. Um, or like they have infections, and then like it becomes gangrenous. So it becomes essentially it becomes infected, so they need to lop it off. Yeah. I think um rather it would have been uh they were they were suffering from hypothermia. You yeah. know, their their body temperature was literally becoming lethally low. So um the blood from their extremities were was rushing to the core. Yeah. You know, because the body wants to save itself. So it, it rushes from uh the, the feet, the hands to the core. And then um, frostbite happens. So, you know, like the the ends of the fingers and the toes will start to turn black, you know. And then, you know, like <laughs> bad things can happen where if, if the blood happens to rush to the ends of the fingers or the toes because like, go, you go from extreme cold to sh- extreme heat, um, you know, like that's how you get like the black fingers and toes. Grim, isn't it? Yeah, because the blood has like just rushed to the extremities, and well, you you look at like people like um, Ranulph Fiennes, and like you just yeah, to lop his fingers off. Yeah, you think like uh, yeah. <laughs> humans we're not adaptable to the cold climate? Um, no, I I, I no, we're not because no. you you have to think like our our species originated in um, the African landmass. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I mean. We have evolved. We have like adapted to a certain extent to be more um, resistant to cold. You know, like um, uh, you know, Europeans like they, their skin lightened so that like they didn't. You know, like so that like they'd have um, what, what was it? Um, but, you know, like the skin lightened because there was not a lot of like sunlight. You know, so like we have adapted a certain bit but otherwise no <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are like the cold what, comes you'll die warm-blooded creatures can survive in the cold can't they no it's cold-blooded cold-blooded okay. yeah warm-blooded creatures like that's how we um oh yeah we, we die from hypothermia because like yeah. the blood needs to say uh 
it needs to stay a certain temperature yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you look at like certain um bugs like I'm not, I'm not sure if um insects and arachnids have what we consider to be blood but they can they can be frozen and like essentially they can turn to a block of ice and their their body enters like a, a sort of comatose state yeah and then they can just defreeze and it'll be like nothing ever happened to them they're like they'll just continue living it's unreal right yeah but like yeah like with humans it's um no, but they also also lucky. also arachnids know that they they come into your house through during the winter because it's cold outside isn't it yeah yeah so <laughs> you know like that's where you know like you, you see a bug in winter and, and I, I don't know you have to feel sorry for it because it just yeah. wants the warmth yeah. but um yeah like you have to think sort of like what can live in these um i mean I, some people have put forward some like tin foil uh theories of what's what spooked the um the hikers and i don't know like it does make you think like what could ever live in these regions yeah you know especially like what could, yeah yeah not just it's, like survive but thrive in these no, areas it's, it's, it's like you could tell about like nature is in control like nature dominant yeah. dominant mm. in like this kind of a vet situation um but even just like yeah it's like leave like going barefoot with just one sock like you haven't yeah. like you could tell they're sleeping because or they were you could tell they were sleeping or like they were just like comfy in their wet you know like sleeping bags or something i don't know i don't know what they're sleeping in but like, cause you you because you know you could tell they didn't have much time to get dressed. Even just like a short panic is yeah. like, well, we need to get our clothes on. No, you can't. Like that's like putting your clothes your clothes on your suitable like thermals and all that was literally the last thing they wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, like you've obviously heard of uh, flight or fight. Uh, yeah, sorry, fight yeah. Or flight response. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, like exactly what you're saying. Um, if if you do succumb to flight response, your immediate reaction is to is to escape danger. You know, yeah. it's to preserve yourself, not to yeah. uh, gather all your belongings. You know, like it doesn't matter how like precious a belonging will be. If flight response takes hold, like you will just you run. Yeah. Um, whereas like uh, fight, I mean. I, I, there, there were signs of some struggle, you know, like there, there yeah, were some yeah. lacerations. Um, uh, I, I think uh, I forget his name, um, but one of the hikers, there was a chunk of um, flesh miss, missing from his ha- arm or yeah. hand. Well, I, I, I've got a lot of notes when we come to it. Um, I just want to like talk about um, the expedition, give us right. some yeah. context to it. But like, yeah, you're definitely right. Like, like chunks of flesh been missing. You feel like, right? What could do that like you wouldn't think they part of chunks of flesh to stay warm or yeah. anything like yeah. i mean so um do you know at, at this time right like you say like you want context the the mountain that they um they made camp near I, it was at that time it was unnamed right so obviously now it's um it's known infamously as dead mountain but yeah well, at that time, no, it was I mean, unnamed. Right? Nothing grew there. That's why it's called Dead Mountain. Yeah. But it, it, it comes the... from like the local name, yeah. right? Yeah. But but what I mean is like, um, even at the time of the expedition there, it was unnamed, right? Yeah. 
so even if like it's probably like a double meaning then isn't it like obviously the natives named it because nothing grows there but also also now it has a double meaning you know because of the, the you know well the, the deaths that occurred you say, there. you say it's a coincidence this mountain yeah so it's um it's uh it literally means dead mountain in uh, the the Mansi language of the eponymous uh, native people in God, I'm going to butcher this. In Russian, it's uh, Kolat Sayakul, and in Mansi, it's um, Holat Khal. I think that's how you pronounce it. But um, it, it's I don't know, like like now, like I have this very perverse like idea of like visiting there. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I can't. I can't want to do it as well. Like, like, That—that's doom tourism, right? Or is it dark tourism? Dark. I think dark doom tourism. Because no, uh, something like visiting doom, doom tourism, I think. Yeah, because something like you know, like visiting um, Holocaust sites, you know, or like um, Hiroshima. That's doom tourism, right? Also, going to like sites where like m- bodies. I've been yeah. Found it. Like, it, yeah, but like, like say but if like people, you, yeah, that's what people go to say, White say Apple, you go to like somewhere where say say Kennedy was assassinated, the street yeah. was shot. That's yeah. like I wouldn't say that's doom. I'd say that's dark tourism. Okay. Yeah, I'm just I'm just wondering where this falls because because of like especially because of how famous it's become and all of the um the theories and the conspiracy theories attached to it. It's become more doom tourism i think yeah especially because uh nine people died so it wasn't just one death or one disappearance nine people died as well it just seems like it's it 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 enhances the sort of um severity of the the incident oh right so doom tourism is involving visiting destinations or endangered species that may soon disappear as a result of environmental threats from pollution to globalization Oh, right. Oh. Dark tourism is um, the act of travel and visitation to sites, attractions, and ex- 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 exhibitations which have real or recreated death, suffering, or the simile Maccabee as a main theme. It's, oh, so it's dark tourism, man. Yeah. Oh. So it's dark tourism, yeah, yeah. So oh, doom, doom tourism is like going to the Great Barrier Reef, because you know the Great Barrier Reef is going to appear in the future. Or like, yeah, like visiting. Um silverback gorillas then yeah yeah or like see those uh endangered rhinos in africa right yeah that's interesting the yeah you know. <laughs> yeah definitely so um it's definitely dark tourism and he's even like going to like roswell roswell yeah. as you said in our previous podcast about the roswell um mystery that's like dark tours well even though people didn't die it's still like a tourist hotspot to go and see like this big mystery in it yeah, yeah, like the the whole extraterrestrial highway is. I definitely... saw. I cast it as dark tourism. Um, yeah, because yeah, because I mean, people have gone missing. You know, like things have happened there. Yeah, like sure. No, um, that's like Chernobyl. Like that's why yeah. we could be good Chernobyl. Oh, yeah, that's definitely dark tourism. Like, yeah. Um, so like, have you ever gone camping? Like, I know, like you were part of like the scouts and and stuff. Like, have you ever gone like camping? in cold conditions 
No, no, I, I never. Yeah, I like, never have done. No, I've only gone camping like I think it was the springtime, and like in Britain, like if you don't know, like we'll get like a little bit of high summer, which is you know like what you think of as summer, and the rest of the year is just like you know if the sun isn't out, then it's cold. Yeah, and I've gone camping once where it was it was really fucking cold, and I was like. Um, I, I think I went with, I think it was, yeah, like my brother and my, and my dad, right? So we went and I think it was on the Gower, this like really nice area of uh, South Wales. And yeah, it was like near the beach and that, but like the wind was blowing and um, we, we didn't have like proper like airbeds. We just had like mats, you know, like the ground mats. Yeah. So that, you know, the cold like seeped into the ground and into the mat and then into my, into my uh, sleeping bag. So that was fun. Um, <laughs> and it was just like, I don't know. It brings down morale easily. Like when, when you're cold and hungry, like your your mind your, your mind goes very animalistic. Do you reckon what happened on the fishing trip in Gowan Stacey? We don't talk about the fishing trip. No, no, we don't talk about the fishing <laughs> trip. It was so cold. Do you reckon Bryn and uh, Jason were going to the Atla Pass incident? That to is that, That's a solid <laughs> Gavin and Stacey reference, though. That is. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, if anyone doesn't know as well, like that's where we got our the name of our podcast from. The more you know, um, <laughs> there's um, but you know what I mean, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like an, animals become like really aware and very like um, yeah, like predators, right? They become very um, I don't know, sort of like savage when they're hungry or cold. Yeah. But like with humans, like, 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 just have like an example, right? Say if you go without food for a couple of hours, you become very like, you know, grouchy and, and stuff because you need food because your stomach's rumbling and you feel weak. And, and I don't know, like, imagine say if like something happened to their food supply, right? Say like um, it, it got spoiled or um, their, their water filter or like say like the, their cooking equipment wasn't working properly morale would have dropped and the the drive to to complete the expedition and and gain their uh grade three it wouldn't have seemed very important no so no. i'm just thinking whether something like that happened obviously we'll come to theories and, and all that well, but, you know, um sorry um yeah go on sorry i was talking about like you know like the idea of like lack of food and morale goes down it's when you you're when like an army sieges your city cuts off your your supply of food drink and all that and then you resulted then if it's even it's like like some seeds last like a year isn't they yeah yeah and at that time then you're literally eating like the horses the the cats the dogs like like in in the place like all the food's gone and then you start like eating the rats or just like eating each other like yeah. it's like it's, um i think there's evidence in some like sieges in say like the middle ages there was no more food so yeah like they started resorting eating leather they yeah, boil leather horrible. into a broth and it's, it's horrible it's horrible and then the last dog that's eaten like human flesh isn't it? yeah that's well, like eating their own dead, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, people complain about sieges, right? Why don't they just, like, have a crossbow and shoot the king outside? You know, it, it worked for Richard the Lionheart, so. 
um, so let's talk about the um, the expedition. So on the evening of the, no, that's good, that's good. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh wow. Well, I'm not I, I was thinking what a tangent they just went on. <laughs> no, but Richard Lionheart was he like stand? He was outside his castle, wasn't he, when he shot? Or was he like, oh no, he shot on the tower, wasn't he? Yeah, he, right. he was. He was besieging um, a castle in France. Oh yeah, he got shot from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that oh yeah, he 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 was shot while besieging the car. Yeah, in, in France and that. I got confused. I thought he was shot while he's on the ramparts, but no, it wasn't that different king. Uh, um, so um, on the evening of twenty third January nineteen fifty nine, the group of students boarded the sleeper train from right here we go. Well, just more Russian pronunciation from. Sliver Dolosk, just east of the Ural Mountains. Today, Yekaterinburg is Russia's fourth largest city and was a host city in the Football World Cup. So they arrived in the city of the city of of Yekaterinburg. So and do you know what's infamous about this city? Go on. So there is a, a new there's a new Byzantium church. Well, this is from the today. There's a new Byzantium church, and it is a spot where Nicholas II and his family were murdered in 1918 after the revolution. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. So they were, they were like obviously they were shot from um, in the city, and uh, also on the um, there's a shrine today to the city's most famous, one of the city's uh, most famous sons. Russian's first president, Boris Yeltsin. <laughs> awesome. Oh, um, Google Boris Yeltsin drunk. That's really funny. Um, it's in this drunken podcast. Uh, it? It's named after Catherine the Great. Yeah, yeah. Katerina. Katerina, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, the party consisted of eight men and two women. Uh, Igor, the leader, was a fifth-year radio engineering student and one of the most experienced athletes in the group. So uh, yeah, this group. So Kolomongorov was from the same faculty. Uh, Doroshenko was studying power, studying power e- economics. Uh, Kolovatov was studying nuclear physics. Krimvolshenko um, and Slohobodin and right, uh, Noli, who were all engineering students. Dubinina and Yudin were both studying economics uh and obviously as i said the uh, zolo tarioff was a 38 year old sports instructor who had fought in world war Two. so uh Dubininia was a younger skier had a reputation as a stern somewhat humorless member of the of the young communists well you know have you ever met a funny russian <laughs> you know, like you know the russians don't spike me as people with a sense of humor do they like yeah, I mean, like you have to think. Like, I think that perception has has grown yeah. because of like yeah. the conditions they live. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think these people would have been quite nice to have. Well, I mean, I th- I think they would have been quite charismatic. And, I mean, you're you're and, this you're lived in start in like during obviously Soviet Russia. Like, it's not yeah. like you, I don't think you're allowed to have humor back yeah. then. And, and post war as well. Yeah. So. Kolo Gorov was outgoing, energetic, one of the university's most popular students. So let's look at the uh, the timeline. 
their, their journey. So they spent the night there on the 25th of January before getting a lift by truck to a logging base called the 41st Settlement. The group hired a horse-drawn sled to carry their supplies for the last 15 miles to the abandoned North 2 mining settlement. Uh, Udin left early. His sciatic nerves had flared up again and he has decided to go home, wrote Zinadia um, Komogorov in her diary. The economic student felt so well that he returned on the sled. He decided to leave his friends, but it was a decision that saved his life. Igor Dyatlov and his fellow students belonged to a more optimistic generation than their parents who have suffered so much in the purges of the 1930s and in World War II. There was a whiff of freedom in the air after the decade of oppression under Stalin. The students had access to some foreign literature, music and films. What's known as the Four, uh, T-H-A-W, under Stalin's successor, Khrushchev opened up the Soviet Union to some economic reforms, international culture and sports competitions. About all, above all, it was a golden age of Soviet science. So, I, from this, I feel like Stalin's like Stalin's reign was kind of like backward, wasn't it? It was in a bit bit medieval. He had all these like restrictions and um, you know censorship and stuff and. Well, he, you know, he, he didn't allow, like, this new optimistic age to come out of, of Russia as compared to, like, other countries, like, in Europe or in the United States. And even after yeah. his death, though, it kind of was a bit more doors opened, but Russia still did kind of live in that whole totalitarian state. Yeah. Like that. I mean, like, you, you have a look at how long he reigned as, like, the, the premier in Russia. He was, like, he was, like, a leftover of... You know, he was he was at the Bolshevik party when it's, you know, just about when it started. He roars through the ranks, you know. He, he was like was left of like this old fashioned sort of like uh, idea of what Russia should be as yeah. a communist utopia. And, you know, he was the main, you know, one of, if not the main reason, reasons why Russia kept on regressing. And yeah, yeah. like you're right, like. It was only sort of like after he, he left power when, you know, you have a Khrushchev and um, Brezhnev and, 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 and the rest that, you know, it started to slip and Western influence started to take hold. And yeah, and, and the youth managed to, you know, get exposed to more ideas and, and started questioning their, their um, politics. But yeah, like um, I, I sort of agree that th- these students were you know, they're more idealistic, maybe. Maybe they weren't so fervently uh, supportive of communism. Well, maybe more, like, individual. If you look at their age, like, they're 22, 23, so roughly, they'll say they were born in the uh, the late... Um, I was talking about that as well. Um, they were born in, like, the late uh, 1930s, where... Well, they're probably too young to kind of like understand what was the whole like you know the the purges that was going on during Stalin Stalin's era, and obviously they didn't they obviously they weren't too young to fight in World War Two, uh, and um, post World War was when obviously they became adults and they lived in like a, definitely a better like growing up like growing up better than their parents did because their parents grew up during like I don't know the like the fall of the monarchy. Uh, the rise of Bolsheviks, then you've got the Russian Civil War, 
and then you got the purges Stalin did against members of like you know, parties and other political parties as well. Yeah, um, but also I, I, I don't, like the amount of people that were sent to gulags did decrease when Stalin's after Stalin's death. Yeah, are oh, you right? Um, but I think it still they, happened. Like obviously, it was still kind yeah. of like a totalitarian state Russia was after Stalin and you know if you were against the state you were like you could disappear and never be seen again or be killed yeah I think it's like maybe because of like how successful like these um, students were you know how like driven they were and um, you know like how like they they, um, at that time they liked um, academics of um, you know like how to describe it it's more they like the idea that we had like this you know like the young communists come up and come in you know so maybe they were more lenient on them yeah so you know but but really they were you know quite questioning of of the communist system you know so maybe i think they wanted communism to go in a way that it that kind of wasn't what lenin intended yeah um because obviously like stuff even like with like capitalism has developed over time than what it was at the beginning. Um but I think they wanted kind of like a communist state that could open up a bit more to other countries, like to be like, oh we can be communist but but maybe it's time to go take communism in this different direction. Bear in mind also this is nineteen fifty, so you did have like um Stuff going on with China as well, where China was producing like the whole Great Leap Forward and and all that in the fifties. That was in the fifties, wasn't it? Great Leap Forward, but that yeah, but that kind of backfired incredibly, didn't it? Um, with the Great Leap Forward. But you do create famines. Was that during the fifties? Was that was that before? Was that in the? Well, I mean, there, there were a lot of famines because you know, like I think what was it like? Um, there was land requisitions and. And stuff, and he was like, "What was it? I think it was like the the four year plan and, and stuff." It was, yeah, yeah. It, it just it ruined Russia's economy with in terms of agricultural um, output, you know, manufacturing. It was just yeah. terrible, you know. So uh, um, I got further information about uh, Igor Dyatlov. So he was a skilled mechanic, but he set his sights much higher. It felt as if anything was possible after USSR launched Sputnik in 1957. The first man-made satellite to orbit the Earth. The taunting beeps from that tiny aluminium spear sent a clear political signal. The Soviet Union was hurting the head, hurling, hurtling ahead in the space race. And obviously that started off this whole, we've got to put a man on the moon by this time before the Russians do it. It was all of that, wasn't it? Like, yeah. like after the Sputnik, it was like, okay, they set, put a man on, the, on the, in space, we've got to put a man on the moon. And the words of candy, we shall go to the moon. <laughs> and it's, it's all about politics. We shall right? go to the moon. Not because yeah. it's easy, but because it is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just um, like, I'm, I'm just like uh, impersonating Kennedy from Clone High. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. I like your funny words, magic man. <laughs> you do a better impression than I do. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, but, uh, I mean, the new age, wasn't it? It was yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't think that they were, they were extremely like you know communists. 
No. But then the idea is, like, do you reckon if the monarchy in Russia still existed, Russia would be a kind of our superpower as it was, well, it was back then? Like, it's kind of like, yeah, like, like it's like, oh, you've got to, like, top... Russia stopped living the Dark Ages, didn't it? And it kind of came out into this new kind of, like, development of, like, science, technology, pretty much all nuclear stuff and space race stuff. So, you know, like, space uh, nuclear stuff. But still, it was very groundbreaking first time, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's all about, you know, it's, it's like war, like, the biggest... Um, what's it like? The more developments happen in like, you know, science, technology, military weapons during war, then when during when it's peace times, and but and then during this Cold War, this stuff did develop because it was always competition about who could be the biggest superpower. And it was like, well, if if America is doing this, we got to do this, but better, we do it more. And the same way in America, if Russia are doing this we got to do this better and more. So, yeah, and I think a lot of people were inspired, especially a lot of people, uh, young people during this time who were, uh, you know, who wanted to be part of this new groundbreaking developments and this new path into, like, making Russia basically, um, you know, the, the, the dominant, um, dominant techno- technological force in the world even during communist times. Hmm. In my opinion, America did kind of win in the end, didn't they? Because it's like America is the wealthiest country in the world now, isn't it? I mean, at at this time, though, it it was just, you know, these were students. I I don't think they were that politically inclined. You know, I mean, they, they had obviously a passion for ski hiking and stuff. So, But one was a member of the Young Communists as well yeah so, i i just think that was like required really of like you know they, they were expected to have some sort of allegiance to the party you know all right so after uh you didn't left the group the, the students continued towards their goal mount or to return is that the mountain you're on about it's called dead mountain say that mountain is the, the name mount or torton o-r-t-o-r-t-e-n Orterton. That's the one you oh. said of Dead Mountain. Or was it Colotte? I think yeah. it's Colotte. Yeah. Colot. Yeah. Okay. So there was once a network of prison camps in the new northern Urals known as Ivedel Lag, where 30,000 inmates built roads, cut and processed timber, and laboured in makeshift factories. The camp had a reputation as one of the most atrocious and violent in the entire Gulag system. Right, you know, like. <laughs> Um, if you think Gulag's a bad, this probably, this probably is the most worst Gulag there would be in. Well, you are doing, you are living in a prison during horrible, you know, climate. It, it, it's going to be awful, isn't it? Uh, yet few try to escape because of the remote location and the harsh climate. Um, so, Igor Diatlos group skied down, skis along the nearby Yuspinia River before the final ascent. There was sun in the morning. Now it's very cold, Zinadia wrote in one of her last diary en- entries. All day long we followed the river. At night we will camp on the Mansi Trail. Yet on the night of 1st of February, 
for some inexplicable reason, the students pitched their tent here. The tent was erected in a shallow pit, which I presume had been dug to shelter the group from the wind. So, uh, yeah, why would you... And apparently it's by, like, a slope, so... It's a very weird place to st uh, pitch a tent. You know, it's just, you can figure out why they did, did that, like... Especially people who are supposed to be with experienced skiers and hikers. Like, why would you... Maybe there's, like, that's the only... Say, the only place that was, like, you know, they could, they could go... Especially when you're on the mountain as well. Yeah. Um, I think it was uh, Yuri Yudin. He speculated that either they did it because he didn't, um, because Dyatlov didn't want to lose any, um, you know, height gains, or just as like sort of just practice. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, we we don't know, isn't it? But yeah, he seemed to think that. It was just sort of, you know, they, they wanted to get set up. It, it, maybe the conditionings were worsening, so they just wanted to set up camp, just so that they were out of, you know, most of the elements were, you know, they, they were they, they were ready, re you know, really to to hunker down and wait out most of the elements. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, they, they, they were not expecting to stay there for like a couple of days. They were obviously pitch a tent, sleep, and then early hours of the morning, c carry on going. Hmm. But like you know, like would you, you? You I don't know how big this mountain is, but you couldn't do all that in like you couldn't do all that without having the rest, could you? No, no. Need, um, need you to like. Uh, yeah, um, so apparently, elevation of Kolatsiakul is um, three thousand five hundred foot. Well, that's a bit yeah. Yeah, that's that's quite high. But apparently, where they were, it it wasn't uh, steep. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, you, you know, I mean, it's they they were in a pass, obviously. You know, they were in sort of like um, maybe they wanted to get rid of you know, if they thought they were in this pass, they'd get out of most of the you know wind, because because there is a um a theory about catabatic wind. Yeah, yeah, we 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 will get to that because then it's all about stuff to do with um, or something something to do with like the the hype. What was it, the hyperrays or something like um, oh, um infrasound? Yeah, that's we'll talk yeah, about infrasound yeah. in a sec. That was the was probably the latest uh kind of theory that's been put put uh, forward. So when Mikhail Sharovin from the search party eventually stumbled on the tent, nearly a month later, it was three hundred meters from the top of the mountain. They were quite close, weren't they? Three hundred meters. The following day, on twenty seventh of February. His worst fears were confirmed when he and some others in the rescue party found the first of the bodies. We approached the cedar tree, said Sharavin, and we were 20 metres away. We saw a brown spot. It was towards the right of the trunk. When we got closer, we saw two corpses lying there. The hands and the feet were reddish-brown. So that's what you're saying about, like, hypothermia, reddish-brown. One of the two bodies was Yura Doroshenko. Next to him was Yuri Kuyvonyechenko, who played the mandolin, mandolin love turn jokes. He had bit, bitten off a piece of his own knuckle. Both men were stripped to their underwear. Closer to the tree, the search party saw the remains of a campfire and thought it looked as if someone had climbed the tree to break off the lower branches to use as kindling. 
Igor was found next. He was dressed but shoeless and lying face down the snow, hugging a birch branch. Dinadia Kormongorova lay nearby, and from the position of her body, it seemed as if she'd been desperately trying to scrabble back uphill towards the tent. There was a long, bright red brood on the right side of her torso, which looked as if it was made by a baton. It was stated that the skids had died of hypothermia and frostbite, but some of the other bodies had serious injuries, but had nothing to do with them being too cold. So, um, so obviously we found two two of them that looked like they were like stripped of the underwear. Um, the idea of a fight and flight, and um, yeah, so bitten off with a piece of his own knuckle. I don't want to think that. I don't know whether it must have been his bite marks though on his knuckle. It could have been someone else's. Yeah. Do you reckon he was trying? Because you know when people bite their knuckles, it's like sometimes it's like something they do it for like warmth in it, but by their knuckles. Or yeah, maybe he's trying to keep warm in it. Keep yeah, warm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he was I like. Because they say, like you know, when you're hypothermic, when you're hypothermic, when you're cold, um, sometimes like you get like really like um, drowsy and sleepy. So maybe he was just trying to stay awake by like giving himself pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Duffy, he was, he wasn't like it was. He, Duffy, he was trying to eat himself. It was just like yeah, trying to keep himself awake. Oh. Um, so obviously, see a means of a campfire. So. It, obviously, they set up another campfire and they're trying to keep warm. And someone climbed a tree to break. Um, juice. They used um, the lower branches as kindling. Um, yeah, so um, Igor was found next. He was hugging the uh, birch branch. Looks like he looks like he's using it for cover. If he's hugging the birch branch, yeah. And then uh, Zinadia was trying to scramble back uphill towards the tent. So she was trying to return to the tent, it looks like. Either that she, needs, she was trying to return to the tent because maybe there was a big storm, or she was run away from the thing that they were run away from, that chased them from the tent. Um, as I said, there was a long, bright red bruise on the side of her torso. It could be made by anything, really. And... Uh, it may, you know, it can be made by a branch. It's maybe, maybe she hurt herself to keep herself away. Like I said, with, um, what, um, think, you know, what he, uh, what he did, um, what Joshenko did to, uh, keep himself awake. Uh, but it may be a baton, which is like, what, like, did one did one of them bring a baton with them or? You got an idea of like, well, who made us, you know, did someone attack them with a baton? And that's where like the wait, this is getting mysterious now comes in. Because you can kind of you can kind of think like, okay, maybe he bit a piece of his own knuckle because he was cold, trying to stay warm. But then the this idea of the baton might have been used does raise questions as well. Yeah. But then it could be like one of the members could have had a baton that they used against a Maybe there's some sort of a disagreement uh, that kicked off. Um, have you uh, so talking about how a couple of the 
hikers were found, you know, wearing, were, were, you know, they, they were unclothed, they were undressed. Have you heard of paradoxical undressing? No, no, I've not heard of it, Paris. Yeah, so um, it's quite, I wouldn't say it's common, but when people are hyperthermic, like, it causes sort of like disorientation and, and confusion and, and sometimes like it makes them feel like they're warm or like they're burning. So when they, when they're confused and, and they think they're, you know, they're, they're so warm, they start to undress. Whereas really their, their body temperature is, is going down. So, so that could be a reason why they just started to just undress and they went outside thinking that they were so warm. Wow, how, okay. they, they were only wearing okay. socks or... Yeah. yeah that sort of... Um, it, it, it forgets the idea, really, that they they escaped the tent for some reason with a flight response. And, what and, you, uh, what, but that would kind of mean, in a way, that they were not possessed, but... Maybe not possessed, but, like... What would make what would make them to? Because if you if they're having a, a fight or flight, then yeah, then they are running out into the cold, believing that they're warm. Yeah, it's um, I I I don't know if they there's a scientific reason in behind it, but I think it's something to do with like the hypothalamus. Yeah, like, in the body, the hypothalamus is the um. I'm not sure if it's an organ, but it's like um a sensory thing where it controls the body temperature. So maybe it's like because of the cold, it's it's damaging the hypothalamus and it makes you feel like you're warm. Yeah. And um, yeah, like so, so it tells your brain that it's too warm. So your response is to try and cool yourself down. And obviously, like you're, you're so confused, you just do it and you, it causes you to die from exposure. It's strange, right? Yeah, yeah. That's maybe I remember seeing um, the movie Everest and Bradley Cooper's character dies from it. But what caused him to... That, paradoxical um, dressing. Yeah, but what caused him to feel like he was warm, wait, uh, too warm, hot, if he... With it, it, it's, it's that, you know, it, it's because you're so cold... It damages that, or like it, it causes like the. Oh, so there's, there's no like other reason. There's literally could you feel well, like you're. They, they, they think that's the um that's the reason. You know. Right. Okay. They, they think that it's the cold is causing the hypothalamus to um to tell the brain that the hypothalamus tells the brain how you feel. So like when you feel warm, you don't. It's the hypothalamus is telling you you were feeling cold or you were feeling warm. And as a result, you try and, you know, if, if you're too warm, you try and fan yourself, you know, because you're trying to, your body telling you, I need to cool down, you know. Or if, you, if you're really cold, you want to put the heating on or you want to put a jumper on, you know. So it's, I think it's just, um, I, I'm not saying this is a definite reason why they, they went out in the cold without any uh, clothing on, but I'm just saying that, could have been that they were they were they were suffering from hypothermia and didn't realize it but but did, did all of them suffer from hypothermia and paradoxical undressing it seems a bit unrealistic yeah yeah it's like must have been 
uh, of sound mind, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, don't, we, I don't know why all of them would have. The, their, their experience, well, some of them are more experienced than others, and I can understand that. But, like, even the ones who experience, like. Yeah. It's the same as, like, um, I'm not sure if um, hypothermia will cause it, but um, maybe, like, they were they were weary, or maybe they, was, they were cold enough that they started to hallucinate. But again, did all of them hallucinate, you know, or like did all of them suffer from the same psychological um, uh, ailment? Yeah, it's too much. It's, it's too much. Yeah, unrealistic. If one person did it, yeah, then understandable. But like all of them had that, then it, 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 it raises too many questions, doesn't it? Um, so Rush GM Slobin, a long distance runner, one of the shyest in the group was found on the 5th of March with a fractured skull. His body was better dressed than the others found so far. He wore a long sleeve... Under- well, I, I could basically be that he wasn't affected, was he? With um, uh, He wore a long sleeve undershirt and sweater, two pairs of trousers, four pairs of socks, and one felt one left boot on his right foot. His watch has stopped at 8.45. The mystery deepened when the remaining four bodies were found in the ravine in May, nearly three miles late, three months later, once the snow had melted. Nikolai Fiobix Brignoli, the son of a French communist repressed by Stalin, had a fractured skull. Alexandra Kolevatov, the nuclear physics student who worked as, at a secret institute in Moscow, had a wound behind his ear and an oddly twisted neck. Lidmira Dubininia, the ardent young communist, and Simeon Zolotaryov, the oldest member of the group, had suffered multiple broken ribs. He had an open wound on the right side of his skull, which exposed the bone. There was another gruesome detail. Both had empty eye sockets, and Ludmilla's tongue was missing. Now, like, when you see that like, empty eye sockets and the tongue is missing, I don't believe wolves did did this because wolves would not just take the eyes and tongue would they they would eat like they would um, chew the leg and uh it could have been like birds like crows or something you know they it, eat, like soft tissue yeah yeah but the tongue is a soft tissue yeah it, it's easier to eat you know yeah yeah this it's, is uh, it's, it's very very strange and um yeah so he obviously uh slow bodin now I've well, it looks like he had one left foot on his right foot. So maybe if they were in the fight and fight scenario, he was dressed already, and maybe just didn't have his his uh, boots on. That's why he, in a rush, then he put his left foot on his right foot because he looks like he's more dressed than everyone else, really. Um, and then we have got um. Uh, so we got uh, Big Norley. Uh, he had a fractured skull, and Kolevatov had a wound behind his ear and an oddly twisted neck. It doesn't say what the wound is behind his ear. So maybe he, he, he maybe he, um, something or someone struck a blow to him. Um, Dubininia, uh, multiple broken ribs, uh, open wound on the right side of his skull, which exposed the bone. Yeah, both empty eye sockets and Lydia's tongue was missing. Now, 
it looks like a missus the scuffle and the baton might have been used more than once maybe on like each of them because the baton can literally break uh, ribs uh, maybe it uh, it basically hits him um, it hit uh, Colovatos beyond the ear uh, open wound the right skull of the skull so maybe he got hit inside the skull uh, but the twisted neck, maybe, maybe it's been like a trying to kill him. Someone killed him. It looks like some, yeah, it looks like so, somebody killed him with a bat, and he could be like one of the members of the group, to be honest. Um, but the empty eye sockets while, and the tongue, why would you take the eye sockets and the tongue? Like, yeah, pretty strange. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if someone snapped and literally just killed some a bunch of people killed them and basically um and then oh right I, i'll think of my own theory when it, i think of my own theory when it comes to it but the empty eye sockets and the tongue maybe the person went mad and just took the eye sockets and the tongue that's kind of like memorabilia something <laughs> um so, right, so like the siberian strangler or something just like there's a killer out in like the wilderness. Hey, you, you, you never know what the, the the blizzard does to you. You said lack of morale, you just go nuts. Maybe someone wasn't, you know, couldn't handle the cold. Let's <laughs> say that. That that blizzard. So, um, want to talk about some theories then? Let's, uh, yeah. Theories. So, the students' parents believe that the deaths were somehow related to the military. We... What went up there is hard to say, the families were told. You will never know the truth, so stop asking questions. So what can we do? Don't forget, in those days, if they told you to shut up, you would be silent. That sums up uh, Syria Russia in that sentence, isn't it? If you were told to shut up, you would be silent. <laughs> uh, since students' bodies were found with strange injuries, people could not accept that they simply perished of hypothermia. I immediately questioned what or who was responsible. At the time of the deaths, accuser fingers were initially pointed at the only other people living in the region, the Mansi. One of 45 indigenous people living in Russia, the Mansi have survived over the centuries by hunting, fishing and reindeer herding. I went to meet one of... Yeah, so uh, ignore that part. Um, but... Uh, so, so, yeah, so blame, like, the scapegoat, blame, like, one of the, the native tribes, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's just trying it. to find a scapegoat. Yeah, that's basically it. Um, do you believe it's, like, military-related? I mean, we haven't come um, to all the details yet, but... Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the idea that, like, it was something to do with the military, because if, if you look at, like, eventually like you know the, the the rescue efforts with the military and then um the reports that come out with the investigators they were influenced by the military and um not just the military but by like you know the the political um leaders you know because yeah. they, they didn't want like any sign of weakness in a in a way to like escape like russia and like to be to be found by the west you know they, they wanted to be kept like they wanted to to maintain the allure that like you know russians were supreme and 
uh, Soviet Russia was uh, successful, right? So like these experienced um, hikers um, perishing in like the cold would have would have been seen as quite um, shameful in a way. You know, like, they wanted to maintain the the their reputation as like the you know the hard man, the Russian bear. You know, um, personally though, I I don't think there was any. Um, yeah, you know, I don't think that they were killed by the military. I think there was a lot of um, interference by the military and in, like the investigation, though. So Val- uh, Valerie Anyamov, a rugged man in his forties, works as a forest warden and lives in the settlement. Oh, by the way, I got this from like a um, like an interview piece. Yeah. This um, some of my notes. Not far from the decaying prison camps, Valerie's dad, Nikolay helped to look for the missing students, but soon his community became the prime suspects. So investigators were convinced we Mansi must have killed them, Valerie says. So many people around here were arrested and a woman from another village who is no longer with us used to say that the secret police tortured her. I don't know if that is true, but we are certainly interrogated for weeks. All right. So, yeah, the, uh, I, I, I do think maybe the service were trying to look for someone to basically confess, really. Um, whether to obviously, you know, to, um, protect their own backs or yeah. the idea because I oh, you tortured them. So I told them like, one of you must have done it. But then, did they do it? It's like, all oh, right, like the, maybe the natives, maybe maybe something did happen with the natives. Maybe not, but I mean, we'll we'll come to it. I don't think the whole native thing is. Up my up my angle, what happened? So eventually, the Soviet authorities were unable to find any incriminating evidence, and flew their helicopters to the Mansi villages to ask once again for help. Thanks to our guys, the remaining four skiers were found in May. Adds Valerie, under the melted snow, a Mansi hunter discovered fragments of clothing, including part of Lyudmila's sweater, which eventually led them down to the ravine. Suspicions still linger about the Mansi's possible involvement. One book published in 2015 suggests that some Mansi hunters were high on the magic mushrooms using <laughs> shamanic rituals. And this is where Tevor hats do come in. And they went berserk when they found that the students had veered onto sacred Mansi land. <laughs> right. Sanka is one of the shrinking number of people alive at the time of the incident. One evening in February 1959, she was out collecting firewood when she noticed something strange in the sky. Du, 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 du. We were coming back from the forest and we could see the village ahead of us, she said. The bright burning object appeared. It was wider at the front and now we're at the back with a tail and there were sparks flying off it. Perhaps it was a comet. But Shankar says the village elders who also witnessed this burning object warned it. It was a bad omen. Something harmful. Hmm. So, aliens, comets, um, and then we've got magic mushrooms. Uh, the magic mushrooms is like... Hmm. You know what one of my favourite like conspiracy theories involving this is? What is? The idea that Bigfoot was hunting them. Oh, yeah. A Bigfoot or Yeti. It's, yeah. I've, um, I've heard they like to say that um, I forget which one it was, but um, they had a, a camera with them, and one of the snapshots they had was like this this figure in the in the distance. Yeah, yeah, like silhouetted figure, you know, quite common in um, cryptozoology. And 
it's you know people seem to think that there was like um a bigfoot or a, a, a yeti you know was following them uh and then as a result of like them following them uh it spooked the the hikers in the night causing them to like flee and then they were hunted then <laughs> but i don't think the you know it's pretty weird <laughs> I don't think a Yeti would, a Yeti or a Bigfoot would, would, if it was attacking them, it would do a lot more damage than it looks like. On, yeah. on this, it looks like a Yeti, if it was like a bear or something, you know, legs be gnawed off, like throats be ripped and stuff like that. Nothing like that happened. Hmm. Which makes me think this is more like humans. I mean, uh, a, a Yeti it. going after nine people, you know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there were several yetis. Oh God! <laughs> uh, would um, they wouldn't bring guns with them. I don't think they ever brought any oh, guns the with them. No, the um, <laughs> <laughs> yetis. Um, oh, these yetis be packing, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, these yetis got like big buttons and go and beating up the. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah. I, I don't know. Did the group did the group bring guns with them? I don't think they did. I mean, they probably had like knives and stuff. Like they yeah. need to, like you know, make meals and and stuff. Some um, protection. The inquiry carried out in spring 1959 left many questions unresolved. Why did the skiers flee the tent of certain death in the winds and snow? What caused the blunt force traumas? Why did an analysis find elevated levels of reactivity on two of the victims' clothing? These questions are well beyond the proof purview of the official investigators who, while baffled, concluded that there had been no foul play and that the students were killed by an elemental force that the tourists were not able to overcome. The cold, maybe? Uh, elemental force, now talking magical stuff. Uh... I mean, we, we, we watched um, the Bedtime Stories uh, YouTube channel and they covered yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. They, they seem to think that... Um, the trace amounts of radioactive um, of radioactivity on the uh, hikers was from was it was it one or two of them were like nuclear technicians? Yeah. In, you know. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. So, so do you think that their clothes were the same clothes they wore? Yeah, yeah. Or, well, um, maybe it was on them, you know, and it contaminated their clothes because you know like, it's trace amounts. In a way, you know, it was. Why would they be testing for radioactivity anyway? That that seems a bit weird to me. Like, why would they? How would they find out unless they were looking for it? That seems a bit weird. But yeah, um, yeah. Like, you know, like maybe it's 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 no like foul play involved in that. Maybe it's just, you know, they were just accidentally contaminated and just brought it with them from the university. You know? But when they get ill, though, they were contaminated. Ah, if it, if it was trace amounts, so if it, if it, if, oh, yeah, it's... Uh, it depends what sort of radioactivity it was. There's, there's, you know, like gamma is like um, gamma is. I think there's like is it's highly ionizing, but it's very weak, or it's like the it's it's very um, rare. But then you have no, sorry, sorry. Uh, gamma is uh, is weakly ionizing but it's quite common then alpha radiation is quite rare but it's highly ionizing well okay you know so 
maybe it was like a bit of like gamma radiation, like some material was on them, but because it was just like, it's weak, it's, it, you know, it didn't harm them, you know. So, uh, um, you never know, maybe, maybe that was causing some like illness and yeah. hallucinations, you know. Well, well like, um, right. I don't think you didn't worked. You did something else. Oh, wait. Okay. Uh, I mean, he had, he had persistent illnesses anyway. He had a congenital oh, yeah, yeah. heart defect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the case was closed and the findings were archived as secret. as was routine in the Soviet Union at the time. Yeah, secret. No one can open it. Um, classified. So a local journalist was barred from filing a report on the incident. And for decades, the only publication related to the mystery was a novel by one of the searchers. That was obviously... Um, Yudin's um, novel basically his idea of what he think would might have happened and then came the Soviet breakup in the, the early 90s which lifted the curtain of silence over the traumatic past the extent of Stalin's repressions were revealed to the public impoverished by fan, financial collapse and shocked that much what they had been taught since childhood was a lie many Russians were cast emotionally adrift in January 1990, the former Communist Party head of a, head of a town near the Outlaw Pass wrote a response to a newspaper article about supposed UFO sighting in the, in the area. So, you know, communist Soviet Russia, so Union collapses, and all all this stuff comes out to the public, and it shocks so many Russians, didn't they? About like what all this stuff happened, like the secret police, these secret killings people disappearing these mysteries and stuff everything that obviously the governments of the time government of the time try to cover up yeah that's um would you say still like the fact now that people believe that all this may, many russians believe all about all this stuff that's going on now like the you know the secret deaths the, no the mysteries I, I mean i think russians are quite skeptical of them yeah. Uh, looking back, I think they're very like uh, they they don't they didn't like how they carried out the investigations. You know, not not just this, but what any cr- uh, crime scene. And even now, I think they they're very distrustful of uh, law enforcement. Yeah. It's, it's so, very it, in Russia now. You know. Yeah. So in January 1990, the former communist part. Oh no, I always said that. Sorry. Um. So. Uh, he wrote a response to a newspaper article about a supposed UFO sighting in the area. In it, he describes what happened to the skiers, claiming that holes in their tent were made by falling debris from a rocket test. But wouldn't it... If, if there were holes in their tent were made by falling debris, wouldn't there be debris surrounding them then? Wouldn't they have found debris anyway when they were searching? Yeah. That, that's, that's what I think, yeah. You, you believe that a hole in... Like, so... Falling debris from a rocket test landed on a tent, it would have probably crushed them, or yeah. would have done a lot more damage. It made a big hole. Like, and I don't, I don't believe this. Um, paper later to publish a story in which Lev Yevat Ivanov, the lead investigator on 1959 inquiry, was quoted as saying the students were killed by a UFO. The article also repeated rumors that a group could have been killed by indigenous people or radiation from a weapons test. In fact, the balls of fire referred to in the story had been seen weeks after the students' deaths when attributed to the documented missile tests. Uh, a few months later, 
Ivanov wrote his own article in another newspaper, blaming the students' injuries on the heat ray or a strong energy that is completely unknown to us. The UFO's secret documents and hints of a government cover-up. Khrushchev was informed about the event but at the very beginning, Vanoff wrote. The articles were a conspiracy theory starter kit. By the late 2000s, Yatlov had made it to national newspapers and television. Now, they could have done secret missile tests, because obviously in this kind of terrain it's probably the best best place. Uh, you're away from like any, you know, like it's like building a nuclear set of nukes in Nevada. You're away from any signs of settlement, so you can't do that. Maybe they were setting off nuclear testing nuclear weapons around this area, or just rocket tests and stuff. And I don't know. Obviously, the uh, obviously they didn't know about the the, the students or the students basically went too close to um, the tests were carried out. But, like, you know, like, all of this mysterious stuff, like, UFOs are to blame. <laughs> uh, I do believe the Russians do have UFO files that, like the Americans, they're oh, not really disclosing yeah. to the public. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't think this is, like, because of al- um, aliens or UFOs. You don't think UFOs are involved at all? No, I mean, like... Yeah, Maybe they could have seen some UFOs, but it's like they could have been just like natural phenomena, like ball lightning or something. You know, I don't think like they were they were killed any you know by aliens or yeah, so, like they do. You know, just like something yeah. happens, they are the aliens. Definitely. Uh... Right. Oh, you're all about the Russian uh, Russian Yeti. So in June of 2014. The Discovery Channel aired a, a documentary called Russian Yeti, The Killer Lives, uh, hosted by Michael Lebeki, in which he proposed that the Atlas group were attacked by Yeti, also known as the Abominable Snowman. Oh, my God. Um, Lebeki pointed to the tra- trauma injuries and Dubinia's missing tongue, claiming that it had been ripped out by the Yeti. Um Quite aside from natural explanations for the missing tongue, even if it existed, it doesn't make much sense. Um, if it was a tongue-hungry yeti, as Libek suggests, why would they have only eaten one person's tongue when there weren't were eight more nearby just ready for the ripping? Furthermore, the process of actually ripping out the woman's tongue would have lead for greater injuries of being on Dubinia's mouth, jaw, and head than were found. A creature as powerful and enraged as Yeti would likely have her, her ripped her head clean off. She suggests that one or more Yetis killed nine people, leaving horrific injuries, yet gently and delicately opened one victim's mouth to remove her tongue, beggars belief and defies logic. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Uh, let's have a look at some um, more. So, an ever-growing web of theories have since emerged, claiming that poisoned alcohol the descendants of ancient Aryans or a variety of fantastical weapons like a vacuum bomb was responsible. The fact that the deputy engineer of the Chernobyl power, nuclear power plant had the same name as Igor Dyatlov raised suspicions of some connection to the disaster. Yeah, but how many people in Russia called Dyatlov? Like, oh yeah, they're both doing the same name. It's like, maybe, maybe Dyatlov's like quite a common Russian name, the same with Jones. Like, you know, 
like imagine, yeah, imagine like I don't know someone called like Reese Jones kills someone. It's like, oh my god, Reese Jones in the Podcast podcasts. <laughs> maybe he's linked to it. It's like no. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just like clutching straws. That is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, <laughs> it's pretty weird. Just like when something weird happens, like you can't just say like, oh well. Maybe it was ghosts, or maybe it was aliens. It's you know, it's easy just to. It's like if you throw enough shit at the wall, eventually some something will stick. Yeah. You know? Um. You know, I mean, something more plausible would be something like military military testing. You know, or yeah, like yeah. Uh, natural ones like paradoxical undressing. Um. I I don't think an avalanche. I think that's been disproven, really. Yeah. But, yeah. Um. The I think. Oh, sorry, the poison, sorry. The poison alcohol looks stupid because it's like what yeah. like someone poisoned them and then beat them and then ripped out the eyes, one one of their eyes and tongues. It's like what? Um, descendants of ancient Aryans. Now I do not know about this. Right. So you tell me, there's Aryans somewhere in your mountains? Uh, I think that's just. I love these ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um, so several theories hold that the Atlock group included a KGB or CIA agent. <laughs> uh, even those closer to the tragedy have blamed the deaths on some nefarious plot. Yuri Yudin, the student who briefly accompanied the group before turning back due to um, illness, said before his death, but he believed his friends saw something they shouldn't have seen and were forced at gunpoint to fabricate a scene to confuse investigators, then left to die. <laughs> so they would, at gunpoint, they beat each other up and they ripped out someone's eyes, one of the, one of the hiker's eyes and tongue, and basically left him to die. Um, I think that's what he says in his novel. So yeah, you yeah. could stiff. Sensation. Yeah. yeah. So Yuri Kutchniff, who attended the students' funerals as a boy and has since become an off-quoted researcher, head of the Dyatlov Memorial Fund, argued that the students had been asked by a Western agent named De Mole to photograph a secret missile test. And for doing so, they were murdered by drunken convicts guarding the pass. Obviously because he had that uh, gulag, that prison uh, nearby. They then they moved the tent 1.5 kilometers to an impractical place. That was done by a mop-up team of soldiers that had several helicopters who told me matter-of-factly. The theory put forward by the American researcher Donnie Itcher, who wrote uh, two books on the Diablo Pass. I'll put some links to her books in the description as well. As well as by some Russian scientists, is that severe winds blown over the dome of the mountain created a Karman Vortex Street of whirlwinds, which produced a low frequency sound that is not entirely audible, but vibrates hair cells in the ear, causing nausea and intense philosophical, psychological, sorry, discomfort. Under onslaught in the uh, onslaught in the ditch black dark, pitch dark, the students could have been overcome by feelings of fear and panic. When announced his inquiry last year, the Russian prosecutor general ruled out criminal explanations says focusing on three natural causes an avalanche a snow slab or a hurricane 
that's done little to keep the rumor machine from kicking into high gear. So um, you've you said about this, didn't you? About this um, low frequency sound. I mean, yeah. it could be possible. It could. I mean, this is a new idea put forward, and this is an idea that obviously they've done their research. The people brought this forward, and they and with new like uh, you know ways of um, looking at evidence, a way of new ways of researching, like uh, you know experimenting or you know and all that. Um, there's a kind of cold case now when they find DNA. That that's a crime scene of something happening like the 1970s or 60s, isn't it? Mm. Um, so this could be true where the students could have been hit by this low frequency sound um, causing nausea and intense psychological discomfort. And maybe the students were overcome by feelings of fear and panic. They left their tents and maybe then one of them or a bunch of them uh, basically started fight, uh, hitting each other and uh, one of them obviously, um, obviously one of them took out tongue and the two and the eyes. That could literally happen. It could the intense psychological discomfort could make someone snap. Whether this could be literally a Russian test that was carried out. Now I do believe this idea of tests coming out of the area could literally have happened. Either it could be missile tests or nuclear tests, or it could be um, these um, low-frequency sound tests. Or when they say severe winds blowing over the dome of the mountain, because mm. I mean, do you reckon it's natural? Natural with low-frequency sound. Yeah, because apparently the infrasound phenomena it can it can be caused by severe weather, you know, or like. Um, uh, it says it can be carved by it can be created by carving of icebergs. I don't think there's any ice, um, I, icebergs, you know, so sort of um, any glaciers or icebergs in that area. But avalanches, maybe, you know. Um, I I mean I think it's more probable that something like a catabatic wind could have happened. Mm. You know, so like a high to low altitude wind. So then it. Obviously, like it's in this mountainous area, um, cold climate. It came from higher, you know, a higher area to go into this like pass, and you know, maybe, maybe there's there was no evidence of it. I think they, they it's proven that um, after the catabatic wind incidents, it's it's hard to prove that it happened. So maybe phew, something like that happened. Maybe the, you know they they were blown away and they were trying to cut, you know try and save him from like this high velocity wind or maybe the the infrasound was caused by uh, the wind. Yeah. Yeah, strange. I mean, something. So do you think? Do you, so you do you reckon it could be natural? Um, uh, yeah. yeah, like a freak weather incident. So what what do you like think happened? Right, so uh, before we um, come to it, I was saying that, like, so 27 people have died in the area over the last 100 years. That's really interesting to think about that. And apparently, uh, what was it? There's something happened in 18, what was it? 
Dyatlov Pass. Something happened, like there's a mis there, there was um something happened. A bunch of hikers did also die in the Diablo Pass area before. All oh, right. Which kind of gives the inclusion was this caused by something else, so it could be like the same thing. Now, uh, yeah, what do you think is the reason? Yeah, I mean, as I said, I think it's something to do with um like freak catabatic winds may maybe causing um infrasound causing hysteria or like panic attacks so um you know maybe something happened maybe one of them went outside because of the infrasound and as a result he was sort of blown away and um then maybe because of the extreme weather conditions they couldn't see um the way back to the tent so they, they were trying to climb that tree weren't they and maybe as a result, they were trying to like, have a look to see, see from a, a greater height if they could see the tent. And then they fell out of the tree, causing um, trauma. And then they got lost and they went away from the tent and they they stumbled into that ravine. You know, and then I don't know, maybe, maybe something else happened so that in the tent then um, they, they needed to get out of the tent because of like maybe they were suffering from panic attacks. I, I I don't know. You know, I, I'm I'm like, you can't say what, for certain. What, in your opinion, then, what would explain the injuries they sustained, and the missing eyes and the tongue? Um, I think that was predation. So you know, I think animals sort of did that. You think uh, birds basically ripped out the tongue? And yeah, eyes. or like some sort of um animal. But why why that? Just one person. They 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 would have. Oh, but maybe you found one person, you know. What about the um? What about the the hits to the side, the twisted neck, and all that? Now yeah. I do believe maybe one of them snapped yeah. from the in the infrared frequency, yeah. and maybe attacked a bunch of them. Like yeah. maybe um, from like the trauma, sort of like the, I think it was all but like three or four ribs. I think were broken. Maybe that happened from the fall from the tree. I think it was a, a pine or something. Or maybe they fell down into that uh, ravine, landed on something hard, so they suffered from trauma, but they somehow managed to get out. You know, so something logical must have happened. You know, there must be some explanation for it. Now, the idea of, the, of like, the I do feel like maybe the low, the, the, the frequency, uh, we'll get to it in a sec. Uh, the low frequency sound could have been natural, and the way the Russians covered it up wasn't because of that. I think it was because that they didn't want more people digging and finding out maybe about the secret tests they were carrying out or something else, even that was not caused by it. Maybe they were like, okay, we're closing this case because. Where they died might be near something that something completely different, maybe nothing to do with their deaths, but like maybe they were maybe they were doing some new rocket tests and stuff, and they didn't want maybe this to they didn't want this to uh, come out because you know word spreads and the American the Americans would have heard of it. 
So maybe that's the case. Maybe they were doing rocket tests, or maybe they were doing some other tests, uh, nuclear tests, and they didn't want it to come out more digging. Because if you investigate this thing, you're like, oh, I found this. Oh, wait, I found documents. Oh, this is a missile test being done here. Then it gets out. And then maybe, uh, you know, an, an agent, a CIA agent, maybe, or like another agent, an MI6 agent or something. And then we're getting very espionage here, but um, it's a Cold War. Then they would have told the other, the West, the West. It's like, oh, they're making weapons in this area. I do believe that. That's why they closed the case. Now, explain the other stuff where it's the eyes and the tongue. Now, I'm going to go back to the finding the bodies because the, the bodies is very. Um, I, I I don't believe other cases maybe UFOs and stuff maybe. Maybe the light in the sky was a rocket test that they saw. Mm. It's plausible, isn't it? Yeah. And the eyes, you know, maybe... Because obviously when the rocket goes up in the sky, then and it maybe explodes or something, or, you know, and that bright light could really um, confuse someone for like, oh, it's a UFO. Uh, so... What's about Okay. Now, I do believe maybe, like I said, I, I'm similar with you with the whole natural, the, the frequency sound. Maybe a bunch of them got, obviously, created that kind of fear and panic, and they all left their tents. And they um, they left, went down to, like, this area. One of them maybe um, got, got a bit too much and decided attacking everyone in the group. Maybe a bunch, maybe a bunch of two or three of them maybe lost it and they started attacking the group. Um, one went completely nuts and removed the eyes and the tongue off one of the students, and the other one maybe used not what would be a baton, but maybe a baton. Maybe he took a baton with them, or maybe like a piece of wood, and just hit some and hit hit one on the side. That explains the bruising. Um, I'm just going through um. So, um, so Yuri Kumlachenko had bitten a piece off his own knuckle. It looks like he's trying to stay alive. Uh, yeah, one was hugging, laid down to hugging the bird, but it looked like he fell um, from from the tree and one tried to get back uphill towards the tent. Right side on her torso looked like someone hit her on the torso and she fell. And then she died in the snow, trying to crawl back up towards the tent. Um, it's fractured skull, hit on the skull. Uh, the idea the watch was stopped at eight forty-five probably means that like the the coldness got into it and it froze. Um, uh, maybe there were only four bodies. Then four people escaped down to a ravine, and that's when the fighting still continued. Uh, one had fractured, fractured skull, wound behind his ear, maybe caused by the baton, and his neck was broken. Uh, suffered multiple broken ribs, open wound on the right side of the skull. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think one of them or a bunch of them maybe just killed, just went nuts and murdered, murdered them. Now, 
and then you know, and then at the end maybe they either died from injuries they sustained or maybe they died from hypothermia. Is it kind of coincidence how that you are Doshenko and uh, they look like they um, yeah so um, reddish brown maybe one of them did it and just died of hypothermia. Because the other one sustained injuries and some didn't, so it begs the question, doesn't it? Yeah. What do you think about that? Because <laughs> I know that, like, that's the same thing with Oswell. Obviously, they covered it up, but then they didn't want people investigating more about maybe this secret Air 51 that was nearby. Yeah. I mean, this is during the Cold War, yeah. where. It's in the middle of Norway, though, like. I don't know, you'd think, like, oh, yeah, it'd be the perfect place, but, like, there's nothing around them, though, isn't it? Like, there's no roads. I think they were, like, off, like, they were on these trails. I'm I'm not sure. I, I think it was something, like, natural. You don't think there were any weapon tests going on? Uh, no. Not around this area, anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think, like, I, I, something really brutal happened, and obviously they all they all died. Something, something obviously is a fact in this, which which is basically why did the government close it up and try to basically stop people from investigating? It? Yeah, I I just think they didn't want more people to go there. You know, I mean, they were corrupt, so I I don't know. Maybe they they just thought like, oh, you know, they they, they were like these skilled hikers and probably the best in their field and they died and if this gets out you know if it gets to the usa or if it gets to the west you know were they going to be laughing at us you know there's there's a sense of like shame about it um and you know like they didn't want you you think national pride is yeah yeah and like the sense of like promoting like soviet supremacy yeah, you know, be a factor. I don't. I don't know how much, how much so it's a premise. Like deaths of experienced skiers, how much they'll play as a fact factor, or maybe how much the Soviet government would be like, you know, disheartened if it's got out to the west. Mm. Now I do feel like the Cold War angle does play into it, obviously, um, and you know. As I said, word spreads, and they didn't want maybe top secret tests. That's what I believe. I think there were tests carried out in the area had nothing to do with the um, what happened, and frankly, uh, they wanted to cover up because they want people snooping around a place and encountering it, and then obviously maybe somewhat people speak, and then um, it, it, even it's not said to the press. Because they were strict, the press saying it. That's why that investigator was told not to investigate yeah. that reporter. But then also, it's like they could be like a CIA agent in Russia undercover, yeah. or like a um, uh, what's the word, uh, a double, double, double agent, like feeding the stuff to the Americans. You know, maybe that's it. Really, that's what that's what I think happened. It's interesting. I always think about when I look at these conspiracy theories. Always look at the context of the time that happens as well. Yeah. Because even like look at Roswell, like the context of the time is not to do with aliens. It's what 
It's to do with aliens, obviously, but it's also to do with the whole Cold War angle as well. So, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about the, the Atlas Pass? I think we covered it really well uh, this session. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I am not certain, really. I, I just, I have, like, these inclinations of what I think happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I don't believe my answer is the right answer. I, I believe now looking at information, I can come up with an answer, which I am happy to say that, yeah, yeah I believe this is what happened. And obviously, we may not know at all. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know where, where else is left to say, really. I mean, like, you know, these, I feel really sad, really, because I, I, I love mountaineering and, and, and hiking. And I don't know, it just seems like th- th- something like this can happen to anyone. You reckon they have um, these frequency waves in Snowdonia? Um, Snowdonia. I, I, I think it could happen anywhere. You know, it said like it can happen after like freak. Uh, severe weather events so yeah probably it would be very strange if you 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 uh you were you didn't survived maybe did not if it'd be it'd be different if one of them survived yeah then not just one that turned back because then you can kind of have an idea what happened then yeah but maybe just you know they all died and none of them survived well they found all the bodies so you know, they could never. They, there's no idea that like there's one body missing. They never found. They found all the bodies in the end. Yeah, uh, yeah but you know, this case is really interesting because it's all down to. Um, well, do you remember that Chernobyl podcast we did, where um, it's all about like the cover up by the Soviet government. Yeah. And the trial just to say what's going on. It reminds me a bit. Um, reminds me of this to be honest, and what is the cost of lies, isn't it? As um, Jad House's character says. It's really, really interesting to compare the two, yeah. isn't it? If, I mean, if, like, it's not so different, yeah. No, no. It's like harsh. Well, it's, both, it's both involved with the Atlov, yeah. but I just think that's yeah. a common thing. Sure. Well, yeah, they both uh, succumb to like, the, the, the harsh like Soviet um, ideals of the time. Yeah, it's quite sad, really. But yeah, I mean, they they died doing what they loved. No. Yeah, that's cool. Um, no, no, it's not cool, but like interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's one of those conspiracy theories that probably never will be solved. Just like uh, which which is one we covered? Skins. Um, or oh, maybe um. Skinwalker Ranch, that's it. I feel like, do feel like Roswell will eventually be solved. I think we do have an idea of the truth now for Roswell. But like, I mean, no, actually some of the other ones, like, what did we look at for our second one? We looked at um, the Roanoke. That was it, the Roanoke, and we looked at the Ninth Legion and the, um, oh, what was the other one with the ship? The, the, the Terror, that's it. Yeah. The yeah. North, uh, North West Pass, North Northeast Pass Passage. Um, yeah, the Northwest Passage. The West Passage. Yeah, yeah. I don't think those are ever can be solved. In the end of the day. Uh, I mean, like I think like that it just turns out like well, there might have been like a mutiny or just yeah, you know, they, they were just suffering from the cold, you know, and maybe they were underprepared, you know, and yeah, you just have to realize like we are like we like to think that we you know we can be ready for anything, but when like 
mother nature comes with like these adverse weather conditions and if, you know, mother nature always that. wins mother nature always wins look to them right so um thank you everyone for tu- tuning in we hope you enjoyed listening to us uh, ramble about uh, russian seek mysteries uh, conspiracies of course as i said earlier follow us on our instagram pages plus follow us on the numerous platforms we are on including spotify anchor apple google overcast amazon music radio public and podcast we would like to thank you for like your support and uh, helping us get this far on uh, our you know our podcast journey so uh, yeah thank you very much and next week we're going to be continuing case of conspiracy uh, number eight with looking at uh, one of our close to home conspiracies mm. uh, the Pembrokeshire murders so um, it's recently on TV and ITV um, so we'll be covering that and uh, the true story what happened and after that then finishing off January we are doing the Cobra Kai uh, discussion for the latest season and the previous two seasons as well so uh, sweep that leg <laughs> so um yeah thank you for listening i'm your host reese bolton signing off and i'm your host reese jones signing off bye 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 oh awesome man